Hey guys, this is Lindsay Schnorr. Welcome to my podcast, Known to be Known. I want to inspire you to wonder and question and think for yourself rather than tell you what to think as we go on a journey to get to know God. I'd like to suggest that God's desire was never to get you to heaven, but to get heaven through you, and that he actually gave us this answer to what eternal life looks like in John 17, 3, saying that eternal life is this, that we would know God as the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. You see, he gave us an end game and a timeline, relationship forever. I believe that as we get to know him, he's made known through our lives and evangelism, you know, sharing the gospel, actually looks and sounds a lot like you and your life. You ready for an adventure? Let's go. Good morning from Iowa. It was brought to my attention that I actually don't think I've talked very much about um, knowntobeknown.com, that there is also a blog that I have been writing uh, for the last few months. And I felt that as I give a little promo for that, and I do say knowntobeknown.com in all of the outros in these podcasts, but it is a number two and a lowercase b.com if you want to go and continue on conversations and spur on different thinking. But for today's podcast, um, I, I really wanted to share um, a portion of Galatians. And... I I think it's incredibly important to encourage anybody that a part of getting to know God is reading scripture. And the way that I like to look at the Bible is that if God left me an entire letter of his, his love for humanity and creation, and that in reading that overarching story, I could learn his language, I could learn his ways and his will, why wouldn't, in my pursuit to get to know him, would I not be completely engulfed in this? I look at it as a love letter to Lindsay. And I invite you that if you, in the number one reason I hear people don't get into the Bible is that it is not something you can understand. Um, not true. And this will be, you know, something in the future we discuss, but especially if you're a Jesus follower, you have the mind of Christ. So again, we're not relying on our own understanding. We're relying on God's desire to be made known. So I think you should pick up your Bible and try again. All right, today, we are going to be looking at Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. If you're interested, I've been doing an in-depth study of my own process of going through this particular book of the Bible, but it is absolutely fascinating to me that this is the place in the word that I've been because it is very reminiscent of everything that we, I feel, are pursuing as human beings right now as far as, is God in the church? Is God relegated to a particular tradition or denomination? Does somebody have it right and the rest of us don't? What makes Jesus the way? All these things are answered, and particularly in this book, if you want to go and take take a look for yourself. 
But what I want to address today is particularly the law and the promise. And I'm kind of going to oscillate back and forth between what I wrote and just thoughts that I have. But this this idea of the law, which for our own conversation, we'll talk about morality, tradition, a set of expectations, things that you live by, guidelines you live by that make you a good person versus faith. And it's scandalous, guys. It's scandalous because as human beings, we want to do to receive. But Jesus came and did everything and just said, here you go. So how do we make sense of faith and deeds? That's that's the question, right? If by faith we're saved, then how exactly does the law come into play? I feel like the both should coexist, right? I think that's one of the reasons we're so easily persuaded back into lifestyles of traditions and expectations and guidelines. Because it makes sense that if we acquire something from God, then wouldn't it make sense that it would be up to us to keep it or be good enough to receive it? That whole notion of not being qualified or needing to be qualified. That's why the law, morality, tradition, religion is enslaving. Now, follow me on this. If you live according to expectation, then you're going to be measured on your performance. Yet, that is why the gospel is such good news. (laughs) Because I'm free in the victory of Jesus Christ. And I get to live by faith knowing that he actually fulfilled everything that I would try to work to get. He did it. Does that make sense that I've chosen to be a Jesus follower, so I no longer do things to qualify or prove or justify the things that I do in my life now come from my identity that's been established in Jesus and going to church, loving my husband, giving to the poor, taking care of my neighbor, those things are no longer becoming, you know, notches in the green that are going to get me to heaven, but they actually just become the natural overflow and fruit of of who I am that reflects the spirit of God in me. Now, as I was going through this portion of scripture in my Bible, which this particular, I have a lot of Bibles, but this one is awesome. My husband got me like an encyclopedia version of the Bible where every single one of them is in its own individual book and then has all these notation areas. It is awesome. Um, I'll look it up and then I'll put a link into it. But if you if you want something that's really pretty to, to display, but that also you can take notes in, this is cool. But I had written down next to this particular portion of scripture, a quote by Napoleon. And I was listening to Chris Valentin actually preach on this, but Napoleon said, the object of war is victory, but the object of victory is occupation. I remember writing it down and actually being like, oh crap, I can't believe I'm writing this down right here. This has nothing to do with Galatians, but it was the only open piece of paper for me to write it down. And in the moment, I can look back and be like, I felt like I was like, yeah, go ahead, write it down right there. And I can tell you, this is another example in my life where I'll be obedient without realizing I'm being obedient. And I wrote this down 
probably a week ago, maybe a little less than that, and didn't have the revelation of what God was saying until this morning when I opened up my Bible. The war between good and evil, death and life, sin and love, that war was won by Jesus. He proclaimed victory over all these things and then gave us the victory in him himself. The war is over. That victory is in Jesus. However, that victory becomes received and lived and demonstrated in our lives to the degree to which we occupy. Occupation. Allowing the truth to set us free and keep us free as we move from glory to glory, becoming more and more like Jesus ourselves. This is profound. So if the object of war is victory and the enemy is already, he knows he's defeated, then wouldn't it make sense to everything that he would keep us from occupying what is ours? Wouldn't that make sense? Wouldn't it make sense that there would be an attempt at any point in history to get us to willingly submit ourselves to the bondage that we were freed from so that we wouldn't step into the fullness of what that victory actually is? How easy would it be to use the familiar to persuade one's captives back into a lifestyle of slavery, all on the hinges of the acceptance of your friends and family? Solomon actually laments about this in Ecclesiastes and says there's no new thing under the sun. I feel like this revolution through and around the letter to Galatians is such one of these things and actually exactly what we're living right now in our day and age. You see, the occupation of Jesus in your life, that was what the victory was for. The sustaining relationship and occupation of him that would change us and the world around us. That this would demonstrate the kingdom that we are from here on this earth. The occupation of heaven. And he does indeed now occupy us. Amen. Paul is so good with words. <laughs> he goes on in this next part of his letter to use an everyday example to shed light on the truth of the gospel. And I find it to be fascinating and totally relevant to us. So now we're going to read this portion. Paul says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise." Okay, think about it. If you have a contractual agreement in the business world, that legal document is binding. The word ratify actually means to give formal consent, making something officially valid. Paul is pointing out that the initial covenant between God and Abraham is important. That covenant was established by a promise, not the law 
which would be established 430 years after the fact. God came to Abraham and made agreement with him based on a promise and Abraham's faith for God to carry it out. Remember that. There were no expectations, prerequisites, or guidelines that were contingent upon the covenant being ratified. Therefore, being that God established his covenant to Abraham and his offspring by a promise, follow me on this, God put all of the expectation on himself. Taking you back for a second, and I remember hearing Lisa Harper preach on this the first time in my life in, I think it was 2017 in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. She she literally mind blew me with this um, historical reference. When you go back and read um, Genesis 15, this is actually where the promise takes place. After the Lord makes his promise, Abraham asks God for reassurance. I want to pause there for one second. So often in our lives right now, we are told that if we ask God, is he really, really sure? Am I sure I heard you? Are you really sure that that's a form of doubt? Can I tell you, there is complete difference between a little kid doubting, a little kid wondering, being curious, or just needing to be encouraged. And I, <laughs> I feel like a lot of us need grace to realize if you ask God, is this really you? That's not a sign of you lacking faith. I would suggest maybe that's even more faith that you're just asking him to say yes. Abraham did that a lot. And when Abraham asked God for reassurance, the Lord had him construct a covenantal ceremony. However, these ceremonies were prepared for both parties entering into covenant to walk in between the separated animals in a demonstration of each person's blood commitment their life to the agreement. This is going to choke me up. These aren't stories. This is our history. The Lord, knowing that Abraham could not enter into such a covenant being a man and a man before Jesus, so sinful in nature, put Abraham into a deep sleep and proceeded to walk through the covenant alone in representation of both God and man. This fire pot and torch being the way he symbolically chose to establish his promise. I would suggest that the imagery that God chose is quite reminiscent of his words in Zechariah 4.6. Not by might or by power, but by my spirit. God would establish his covenant by a promise that was guaranteed by him alone and given to Abraham through faith that one day his offspring, Jesus Christ, would fulfill the covenant as fully man, offspring of Abraham, and fully God, pure without blemish, giving us the ability, by Holy Spirit, by His Spirit, to occupy this world with heaven as new creations in Him, having nothing to do with anything we've done, but only reliant completely on His victory and Himself. <laughs> That is a good word. The inheritance comes by the initial covenant, which was ratified by faith. The gospel is only received and occupied by faith. Faith. 
Wow, faith is mysterious and amazing. What a gift. What a gift. As you chew on these things today, as you chew on them for days afterwards and revisit them, I wonder what in your life, what in my life, what areas in my life did I start falling back underneath an expectation that I needed to do A, B, C, D, F, G in order to get this from God instead of realizing that he chose from the very beginning making a covenant with Abraham that, that faith, that faith would be what brings me into relationship with him so that I would get to do things with him, that I would get to serve him, not because I have to, but because I get to. And what would this look like in my life if all the good things that I've been doing are not to prove or justify or qualify, but they actually become the overflow of just becoming more like the person that loves me the best? What, what would change? What would change in your life? What if this Jesus, what if he's real? What if you took the opportunity to, to actually say, uh, Jesus, I want to get to know you. Man, you sound like a pretty good person. What if? What if that question is worth it? What if he's real? And what if everything that this book says everything that God says about your life is waiting for you to step into? What if you can stop working so hard to do and qualify and receive? What if you can lay that down and step into something that was already created for you to do and get to live in joy and peace and compassion and strength and endurance what if what if thank you for listening today i hope you have found places in your thinking or belief systems that have been encouraged challenged or my hope quite frankly introduced to completely new concepts you want to stay connected visit me at my website at known to be known that's the number two and a little b Com. You can go there to be a part of the blog or to submit to be a member so that when new podcasts and new blogs are released, you're the first to know about it. Can't wait to see you next time.